All right, what is the ultimate financial plan? How to determine your goals, establish an emergency fund, debt management, retirement planning, how to pick investments, charitable giving, reviewing and rebalancing, and then all the other considerations that go along with building the ultimate financial plan. We will cover that on this episode of Through the Pines. So welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe, Sasquatch listens while working on his tee shot. I forgot Sasquatch last episode and I was was reminded after the episode. Thanks, Rex. I appreciate that. Uh, I can't believe I forgot Sasquatch. I can't believe you left out Sasquatch. I know. He's the man. He is the I man. Mean, I don't know how we, especially golfing. He's right? the man of our podcast, at least. And so anyway, he's working on his tee shot. And whenever he's working on his tee shot, he's thinking about us through the pines. So he's thinking about you, Rex. Rex with Plan with Baxter. So we'll introduce our financial planners this week. We do have Brandon and Dan off to the side here, also with planwithbaxter.com. And then Rex with the Ameriprise t shirt on, <laughs> golf shirt on. Yeah. Uh, how's your t shot, Rex? You know, a little bit better than Sasquatch's. He, he has a terrible swing. It's kind of like. Have Charles you seen Barkley Sasquatch? Swing. Oh, it probably does, but yeah. <laughs> no, but I can envision it. I one time I I literally was tracking him down on a golf course, a, a mountain golf course, and yeah, and I don't know. They said I was, was literally tracking us. him down. <laughs> <And> so, so, <laughs> so I'm there, and and he had these golf tees that yeah. were like you know a foot long because yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's they're, weird. They're yeah. ginormous, and yeah. so anyway, okay, so. Uh, like our Facebook page, Through the Pine, so you know when this stuff comes out and you never miss a Sasquatch tee shot. Follow our Instagram at Pines underscore podcast. I try to put up some of the uh, the sound bites up up on that, on, on like the shorts and the reels. So also on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Through the Pines podcast on YouTube. You can see our wonderful, beautiful faces. Okay, that is all the introductions. We will dive into the ultimate financial plan Starting with the first thing, and this is going to be fast because we have done essentially uh, all of these in episodes, right? And so you can go through, this is episode 26, you can go through and find like the deep dive on most of this stuff through our history, just go through the, the catalog, I guess, of Through the Pines. So number one is assessing where you at, what you need, and how to set goals. Rex, how do you begin with this? I mean, is I mean, what if you're 50 years old and you're just starting an, uh, your ultimate financial plan? Is it too late? If you're, you know what I mean? If you're 18, that sounds great. Where do you start there? It all depends is the famous answer we have. How do you begin a financial assessment? It's never too late. It's I like that. Never okay. too late. Okay. You, the point is you need to get started. Yeah. And so when we're putting together the initial financial assessment, then we're, we're creating essentially a net worth statement is where we start for our team. And so, you know, for those that, that don't know what your net worth is, essentially you're, you're gathering up and listing out your assets. So whether it's a home or vehicles or a tan van or a trailer or whatever it is, um, we're adding that up. If you have rental real estate, we're adding you, that up. Be, be honest with me, Rex, be honest with me. Do you think, do you think I can get a million dollars out of that tan van in like 20 years? I, you know, I, I was really looking at that and I was using different valuation methods yeah. on, on how to evaluate the 10 man. <laughs> so, no, this is serious. This is serious because this is a serious question. Yeah, it, is. So, it is. You know, this is uh, this is no laughing matter. And so on the 10 van, you know, <clears throat> we were looking at, at the recent repairs that were done. Yeah, um, it's true. I have recently yeah. from from an extreme professional out of state. Yes. And and, yeah. you know, by 
<clears throat> by necessity. But it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. so a short answer, I don't think so. You don't but think so? Maybe someday. Okay. Okay. Maybe someday. Depends so. on how big I can get this podcast to go, and then it's it might be worth a little bit more. But yeah, uh, so if you need a podcast done, Banyan Collective. Banyan Collective. All right. So so we start out with net worth, and and so you start with your assets. We then you need to subtract out your liabilities. So if you have rental properties and if you own money on the rental properties, we have to subtract that out. If you have a mortgage, if you have, you know, non-forgivable student loans, um, <laughs> yeah. then, then we need to subtract that out. Um, vehicle loans, credit card debt, whatever it is that, that you owe money, whether it's to grandma or whatever, right? So and are so, most people in debt just because of their house usually? Because they might say it's a $500,000 house and they owe Three hundred, you know, they might have two hundred equity, but then the rest of the rest of their assets don't add up to make up the difference in what they owe in their home. So, so in that case, I mean, let's just take a, a micro view, right, of just a house. Is if it's valued at three uh, five hundred thousand and you owe three hundred thousand, then your net worth is two hundred thousand. It's the equity in the house that would be your net worth. So it'd be a positive net worth. Okay, you just have right? to sell it. <clears throat> yeah, it's illiquid. Yeah, right, and you need a, a place to live. Yeah, um, it's a problem. So, but but that doesn't change your net worth. And so when we're when we're initially assessing your positions, we the two key things that we want to focus on initially is your net worth and your cash flow, um, are, are the two two starting points of trying to figure out where you're at, how you're valuing your money, and how you're using your money, one way or the other, um, as as far as how how that's flowing throughout your life. Okay. So. I see what you did there flowing through. All right. Yeah. Uh, Dan, how are we doing? You know, this is really important. This subject is really important. Just to give you an example. About a week ago, I call Rex and I say, Rex, hey, I want you to I want you to look at my financial plan. I want you to help me. And I've been doing this over 40 years. And so I've got money in a lot of different places from real estate to in stocks, bonds, money markets, LLCs, uh, home business. My wife has a business, uh, lots of different places. And to take a fresh look from somebody like a financial planner, and I needed Rex to take a fresh look and help me kind of bring it all together. I spent, most people spend their whole life gathering assets, but it's a very different thought process when you're saying to yourself, when you're trying to get out of bed every morning, do I have enough to retire? Do I have enough to retire? The only way you really know that is if you have a financial plan. If you have a planner that helps you put it all together in one place and then say, okay, this is what we can do to replace your check, your paycheck. And this is how we're going to do it. And we're going to plan for the next 30 years of your life after you're done working. So this is a really important subject. And I hope that everyone that has a, a career or a great business and they've been saving money all their life, they get help to determine how do I, how do I bring this all together so that I have the assets and the money I need to retire comfortably uh, in a, in a manner that I want to be used, you know, that I want to retire. So yeah. good, good points. Yeah. Great point. Brandon, how do talk about goals and goal setting and, and, and how to reach those? Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with Rex that it's never too late to do a financial plan. Um, however, the planning process differs, you know, when you're in your twenties, thirties, forties versus fifties, sixties or seventies. 
Um, you know, when you're younger, it's it's more about what what is your goal? Like, what would you like to see? Do you want to retire early? Do you want to retire on more? Do you want to travel? Like, it, it's more goal oriented. And then, you know, a, you know, setting up processes so that your life will naturally flow towards, you know, that end goal. Um, when you're in your 50s and your 60s, there can be some of that, but it's more of it's more of helping helping you maybe brace yourself for the change or ease into the change would probably be the best term, right? And so, like Rick said, we can start off with the cash flow, figuring out how much are you spending. Most people don't know that, and so backing into that, and say, all right, what expenses are going to stay through retirement to the rest of your life, and what are going to fall off? You know, in like a mortgage or or tax brackets or, or different things, and so. The later in life financial plans are some of my favorite, even though, you know, there's less flexibility. Most times people's situation is, is dramatically better than they think it is. And so it's fun to go through it, but it's also really beneficial. I've heard m- multiple instances where people have said, you know, I don't have a lot, you know, I, you know, haven't, haven't saved a lot. I'm just going to take my social security. You know, my wife hasn't worked, so we're not going to work. You know, we're just going to, we're just going to, you know, plow through this without an advisor and, and multiple scenarios where, you know, they didn't realize the spouse was actually qualified for a, a spousal benefit while they were both alive and gave up, I think about a hundred thousand dollars in each scenario. And so sometimes, even though, even though you've got an idea and most people have an idea, it's really helpful to double check and make sure you're just not missing any major blatant errors. Um, in addition to that, Rex and I, and, and Dan, I mean, we've met with engineers and also multiple times where they've come in with spreadsheet after spreadsheet and they've got every, literally every, I was very impressed, every asset projected out, you know, and how, and distribution. And it was, it was truly a work of art, but it, it wasn't as good as, as our, and, and to their own admission after that, like, wow, I could have never calculated this accurately. I never could have figured this out. And so even if it's just double checking something you've already done, that financial plan really can make a material difference. I find it I find it interesting <clears throat> that you know a couple of weeks ago I met with two clients in the same week. First, very very young, about twenty four years old, relatively newly married, um, just kind of getting started in life, and and we start at the same place. Now, obviously, it takes me a little bit longer to go through the second client that I'm going to kind of describe as opposed to the first client. So the first client we still go through and we and we put together a net worth, and they happen to be in a, a positive net worth status. It was not much. And so it might've been 10, $20,000 positive net worth, but still positive net worth. And and we still look at, as we guide them throughout life, trying to, to look at, at that in, in light of our financial decisions, because if you're going to look at one number and try and determine your financial health, then, then that number is your net worth. And so when you're going to make a financial decision, you want to evaluate how is this decision going to impact my net worth. And that's what should be going through your head is if I go and I, and I buy this or I invest this dollar amount, or if I end up saving in a certain way, how is that going to positively or negatively impact my net worth? And, and is that acceptable or not? And where am I headed with that? The second client that I ended up meeting with is 64 and has a net worth closer to about $80 million. Dollars, you said, right? You said eighty. <clears throat> yeah, you m- said eighty. M- 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 million. M- million. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, a, a very different situation, and and obviously a much longer list of assets and and things like that, and very little on the liability side, but still some some liabilities out there to these using for 
for leverage and and to try and and use leverage to to grow his net worth. But we start at the same point. We still start at net worth and we still start at cash flow, and and going through and making sure that you understand how those are impacting your life, your decisions, your you know your financial health, and and so that you're feeling confident in your financial decisions. I think the biggest mistake you can make in financial planning is thinking that when somebody hands you a book and says, here's your financial plan. Well, that's, that's terrible because that was outdated, you know, the day after he gathered the information from you. A financial plan is a living entity. It's, it's ever changing. It's ever evolving. And so when you go into a planning process, it is a process. It's something that continues over time to, to evolve and change and, and, you know, a variable is going to change. You're going to make a decision and we need to react and we need to make sure that things are positioned. And so, you know, don't go into planning thinking, oh, I've got this book. Let me put it up here on the shelf somewhere and I'll dust it off in about 20 years and, yeah. and donate it somewhere. So very good. Okay. So you kind of blended in the second, uh, well, I guess the key here in the ultimate financial plan cash flow a little bit. So cash flow and budgeting, how much, Rex, do you actually sit down as financial planners, go into the the budgeting of someone and where where they put their money? Do you say, hey, you should be saving this percentage or are you spending too much on fast food? Uh, you need to donate more to charity. Like how deep do you get in the weeds with clients as far as budgeting goes and setting up a budget? So typically we don't get very deep into the weeds in that. Typically, we're, we're trying to back into, most people just don't know what they spend is the reality of it, is most people, when you ask and you say, how much do you spend a month? They'll shout out a number, but most of the time it's just out of thin air. Um, and so, and which is, an, that's such a critical number for you to know, because if we're doing planning, we're trying to replace that number in retirement and you're giving me bad data in, I'm going to give you bad data out, yeah. right? And so I need to know fairly close to what that is. And so we kind of back into a big picture budget of what do we think you're spending? And so lots of times when we do that, we're, we're looking at how much are you saving? How much are you paying on fixed bills like a mortgage, like a, a car payment or, or certain loans, things like that. And so we're kind of backing those things out. We're backing out taxes. And, and if it's not being saved or it's not being paid on a debt, you're probably spending it. Yeah. And, and so yeah. that's what you're spending yeah. and that's the reality of life. And, and it's, it's interesting because most people, when we tell them that number, as a matter of fact, the best reaction is typically with accountants. When we're going through this on, on their own personal situation, we're like, yeah, you're spending X and their, their eyeballs pop. Right. <laughs> I mean, they just, they just wide open and <laughs> they're like, yeah, there's no way I'm spending that. They go home, they call us back in a week and they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so so, it's, it's so even accountants can be blindsided sometimes. Um, Dan, talk to me about emergency fund and why it's important to have one. Everyone should have an emergency fund because that happens to all of us uh, at various stages of life. And that can be ranged anywhere from if you look at your income and you say, well, I've got $100,000 worth of income. You should have six months worth of an emergency fund at a minimum. Uh, some people, when they get a little bit older, they might want a little more than that in an emergency fund. Yeah, six months of income or six months of bills? Living expenses. Living expenses. Six months of living expenses. Okay. So, so Dan, remind me how many kids you have? Four. Four kids, right? So let me ask you this. Are you their emergency fund? 
<laughs> right now, I'm, right now I am not. Good. Good. Time in my life when I was. Right. So, so that's an important thing that I I try and stress to my kids jokingly initially, that you know as they as they grow and get through college that I am not your emergency fund. I am not your backup plan. I am not your means to to generating wealth. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so. You know, it, it's it's and interesting. And let's be real. I mean, you're rich, but probably not rich like Shaquille O'Neal. No, I'm not. So I'm not. So, not even not rich. Like not even not Shaquille rich. O'Neal. But, but one, and I've said that line before on the podcast where he tells his kids, like, "Oh, I, I'm the one with the money, not you. Like, you're gonna have to, you know, like I'll help you. I'll give you the ends." But he's like, "I'm the one with the money. I'm rich, not you." <laughs> To his kids. And I think that's important because they need to realize that up front because they can, they can fall into a, uh, is, is, you know, Dan's is fortunate to know, like, no, I don't, they don't have to rely on me anymore. They're, they're now past that but, point. So but that being said, right. An emergency fund. I mean, <clears throat> so one of, one of my sister's kids got sick this past week and they are clear across the country from each other. Right. And if you didn't have an emergency fund, then she couldn't, she she would either have to go into debt to fly out here mm. to to help her daughter with her sickness and illness or she wouldn't be able to yeah right life happens yeah and when life happens you're going to be extremely grateful that you have an emergency fund okay rex why don't you talk to me about debt debt management on the ultimate financial plan don't do it how <laughs> How much debt should we have? Should we just have a whole bunch of debt <laughs> hanging out around there? How do you live without debt? I mean, there's these beautiful, wonderful things called like uh, Discover cards, and you get points, and uh, you know, like are are they wonderful? How do we? That's what I'm asking. Like, how do we deal with debt? Student debt, which apparently is not debt anymore. Yeah. Uh, car debt, house debt. I'm um, seeing more and more. And again, this is Instagram uh, financial planning on Instagram. But th but these guys on Instagram, we say you shouldn't put 20% down on a house. You should only put five and let that work for you. So how should you manage debt? And does it matter how you know, does it matter if you're putting it down on like an asset, like a house or a car? Talk, so I think I, I do think there's good debt and bad debt. In a nutshell, good debt is going into debt that's going to increase in value or going to increase your position in life, right? And so when, when you look at it that way, you know, typically you're talking about a house, right? Because houses appreciate in value typically over time. They may they may go up and down during different cycles, but over time typically they appreciate. And and education would be something that can increase your position in life if you do that correctly. And and I think we have a podcast on on education and, and limits on debt and and how to evaluate, you know, whether going into debt for certain degrees makes sense or doesn't make sense. And and so you might check that that podcast out on education. But and, and then there's bad debt, right? That that doesn't increase in value, like credit cards, right? How how does a credit card increase your position in life? Yeah, you may get a few points, you may get a free dinner, you might get a hotel stay, something like that. But is that really changing your life in at the end of the day? And if you happen to get in a situation where you where all of a sudden the balances aren't getting paid off every single month, then it only takes a month or two to eat up all of that benefit. Mm. And so the first mistake you make, all of a sudden it turns from a minor, minor benefit to an, an, an enormous ankle weight. And so you, you really want to pay attention to that. That being said, on the good debt side, 
you know, that's one reason why most people, their biggest asset is their mortgage. Mm -hmm. And it's because they couldn't have bought that asset without using leverage, without using debt. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, there is some kinds of good debt. And I know that there'll be some advisors out there that, that disagree with that and think that there's no good debt. And they certainly are entitled to their opinion, but I'm not of that opinion. I do actually think that there is good debt and bad debt. Okay. So very good. Moving on to the ultimate financial plan. Brandon, I believe you are the insurance master. So let's chat a little bit of insurance. What type of insurance do we need? And we do have a podcast on this, by the way, too. So again, we've covered a lot of these, a lot of these, but, uh, you know, life insurance, uh, disability, what should we have in our financial plan? Yeah, I'd say enough, but not too much, right? (laughs) Under understanding, sorry, that was a bad luck. Uh, Understanding. (laughs) understanding that that insurance companies are for-profit entities. In fact, you know, most, you know, speaking on a high level, for every dollar you pay into an insurance company, you're only getting 60 cents back. And and obviously that's not a a very attractive rate of return. With that said, though, if I pass away, I don't want my wife and kids to be on the street or living with parents or doing something like that. And so I need life insurance. Now, term life insurance is incredibly inexpensive. So you can get that. I mean, literally to the tune of 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks a month, depending on how much you want, you can have a really healthy, good term life insurance policy. I also have disability insurance. If something were to happen to me, I was out mountain biking, you know, and, and took a tumble and wasn't able to work, that that would seriously derail everything that I've worked for. And and so so I, I deem that as, as necessary as well. And then obviously the others, you, you want to have a good, you know, home and auto agent that's shopping for you, making sure that you've got the appropriate coverages. Because if my house, obviously legally, legally I need it, but also I don't want my house to burn down and, and be sitting there with my uh, camper pulled up on the, <laughs> on the foundation, because that just wouldn't be aesthetically right pleasing. Hey now. Oh yeah. <laughs> <Dang it>. <laughs> <laughs> insurance is um, interesting, right? Because it's not, it's not the answer for everything, but it's certainly the answer for some things. Yeah. And, and so I think Brandon and I and Dan is not, none of us are necessarily enormous fans of insurance, but we're not, we're not against insurance either. It's just insurance, is just a product that fits, fits a need and it fits the need of, of when you need to transfer the risk from you retaining it to a company, then that's all insurance is. And so if you're not in a financial position to retain the risk, like if your house burns down, then are you in a financial position to rebuild it yourself? Or do you want to transfer that risk to an insurance company? If you die, do you have enough assets to provide for whatever it is that's important to you, to your kids, for for your wife, for your, your animals, for whatever it is that's important to you, or do you want to transfer that to an insurance company to cover that risk? And I think at the end of the day, that's all it is. And and people people use it as a cure-all. They use it as the answer for everything. And, and it's not that. So just take a step back, breathe, count to 10, and realize what insurance really is. It's just a transfer of risk from you to an insurance company and is whatever you're going to insure is the cost worth it? Okay, very good. Uh, all right, we literally just covered an entire podcast on four hundred one k and IRA investments. Um, but uh, who wants this one? Rex, do you want this one? Oh, is that the one without Sasquatch? Without Sasquatch. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks for the reminder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, for, why are, why are they important? Why they're, start a four hundred one k or IRA? They're they're important because it's a it's a very 
efficient way to save money. And, and so especially on a 401k, if you get a company match and you put $300 in and the pump company puts in $300, what's the return on your money on that, Brandon? At his, uh, excuse me, 100%. Right. And so when's the last time you saw a bank or a financial institution give you that kind of return on your money? The answer is never. Every time they take it out of your paycheck. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it's just a great, efficient way to save money. Yeah. Okay. Is that all we need? I think so. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dan, why moving, moving on in the ultimate financial plan here, real estate and home buying. How, how much should we spend on a house? Uh, boy, that, that's a good question. That, that depends on a lot of things, Brandon. So, um, it's important to some people to have a really nice home. Other people, it's important to have a lifestyle versus a home and not have as much built into your home. The one thing about having a nice home in, in a nice area is usually that is a, an appreciating asset. That's an asset that will go up in value. Real estate in general uh, might be a fourplex or, 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 or a duplex or a rental home or something like that. Over time, that's just a way to diversify yourself from, from other assets. And so over time, and as the years go by, that might be something that will be part of your financial plan. But real estate normally uh, does a, a really good job of, of uh, appreciating uh, over a period of time. And there are times when it goes down. Obviously, we've seen that. But uh, I would not overextend in a home. Get something that's affordable. Get something uh, based on uh, the good debt, having a mortgage that is affordable, that you're not uh, uh, tied to that home to where you can't go out and live your life, uh, meaning you're overextending in a, in a home that's too big or too expensive based on your life. So, uh, be careful with that. Uh, most people start out with a, a smaller home and then they build into maybe a, the dream home or the home that they want uh, 20 years into a marriage or, or something like that. But uh, everybody is a little bit different about how they view this. So the main thing is don't overextend. I like Dan's pragmatic advice. Rex, what's your number? What's your percentage of income to spend on a house? You know, I, we did a rule of thumb podcast uh -huh. a time ago. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. And, and so I think my number was, was roughly 25% of your income towards a house payment. If I remember correctly okay. is kind of what I'd shoot for. The banks sometimes will lend all the way up to about 49%. Currently that changes with uh, the wind and economics. So they'll, you know, the, the banks are great because they'll let you pay on a house and pay on a house and pay it down. And then when you can't pay it anymore, they'll take it back from you. It's a good deal for the bank. <laughs> so, so, yeah. yeah. So just because the bank will give you the money doesn't mean it's a good decision for you. Right. Right. Very good. Okay. Next up on the ultimate financial plan is estate planning. Brandon, I'm looking at you. <laughs> what do you got on estate planning? What, why is it important? What maybe, what are the steps to estate planning? Yeah. First step, meet with a good attorney, right? We're not we're not attorneys. However, we deal with estate planning enough to really kind of help you, I guess, start to think down those routes. Estate plans are important, really, at all stages of life. Oftentimes, people think, hey, I want to do an estate plan, you know, be, if I'm about to die, I'm in my 60s and my 70s and my 80s, whatever it is, and health is bad, whatever, I want an estate plan. And that's not wrong, right? An estate plan 
usually will help save on probate. It helps solve fights between siblings. I mean, it really does make that transition of assets much smoother, oftentimes from you know a tax perspective, but also you know a relationship perspective and everything else. I, I do personally have an estate plan though, and 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 kind of one of the big things that it's amazing. Oftentimes people don't think about that, but man, if you if both myself and my wife passed away, and all of our assets that we've accumulated plus the life insurance that we've had to take care of each other, but we're no longer there. That massive sum of money gets handed to our kids all at once after they've lost both parents. I can't think of a more fun two to three years of life like ever, right? I mean, that would be the most amazing teenage, early 20s experience I think that you could come by, but it would be followed by deep depression more likely than not and, and, and a really difficult trial. And so anyway, an estate plan allows you to control that, right? My estate plan delegates who we'd want to take care of the kids. We've set up, you know, a stipend for each of the kids on a monthly basis to kind of cover the costs of that new family absorbing in more kids. Um, And then it dictates, you know, what will be covered, what expenses will be covered for the kids, weddings, um, education, things like that, you know, as they, as they grow up and, and when they receive that money, kind of with the thought of we don't want to just hit them with a ton of money all at once. And so an estate planning, a good trust, you know, and, and meeting with a good estate planner can solve a lot of a lot of problems really throughout all the stages of life. Brandon, who, who gets the sailboat? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't, we didn't write that down. It's oh, not really worth God, a lot. <laughs> I've thought about it though. I have thought about it and I, I don't know. That's funny. Estate planning. Everybody has an estate plan. You can either use the government's estate plan or you can create your own estate plan. And so, but everybody has an estate plan Interesting. and, and the power of the estate plan, if you decide to create your own, which we highly recommend you do is it, you get to decide who gets what, when, Yeah. right. And so remember that, that you have an estate plan. You might not think so, but the government knows so. Yeah, I don't like that plan. No. That's not good. Uh, not not part of the ultimate financial plan, but still important are some more numbers. Brandon, yeah. I'm coming to you. Do we got some more numbers? Betcha. All right. So oftentimes, you know, we, we've got associations, right? Stronger is better more times than not. But but what about when the dollar is too strong? Um, FactSet had some statistics. They said that the Federal Reserve's Trade-weighted dollar index is up 9.7% this year and and close to multi-year highs as well. And, and it just kind of points out that the dollar's value has actually surged over the last several quarters. And, and that's something I think that usually takes, you know, if you're like, wait a minute, we're in a high inflationary period where, where money is being devalued. But you have to remember that the value of your dollar is relative to a lot of things. Our, val- our dollar is worth a lot less relative to its comparison with bananas, you know, two years ago, but relative to other countries' currencies that really aren't doing as hot, we're actually quite strong. And that's a good and a bad thing, right? If, if your dollar is really strong, it makes it harder for other people to buy our goods because it makes our goods more expensive, our goods and services. And so you see, you know, maybe an economic slowing because of that. But the good news is we can buy stuff from other countries for a lot less money. And so there's kind of pros and cons of all of that, but I thought that was kind of an interesting statistic. I like that you threw bananas in the podcast. So Sasquatch would be proud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tax planning and, man, Brandon, do you want taxes? 
Yeah, yeah. I love taxes. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I, I, this, this is one of, one of the parts of my financial plan that just worked, my personal one. And and I appreciate you guys listening to me because I bring my wife down. I'm like, look, Jess, this is awesome. And she's just like, yeah, just tell me what we can spend. So anyway. Listen, um, listen my wife, I don't think, has listened to one of my podcasts in the last eight years. I've, so I, I feel you, Brandon. I'm, I'm on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, she probably hears me talk about it too much. Um, anyway. No, so, in so, other ways, just like your wife supports you in other ways. Right, right. Yeah. No, but taxes are important. Um, it's, they're basically impossible to predict. However, we can, we can predict trends. Um, we can look at take your income this year, throw that against the tax, you know, the tax brackets and figure out, you know, how much are you paying? If you make one extra dollar, are we in the 12 percent bracket? Are we up into the 22 percent bracket? And then compare that with where you're at in your in your life cycle. Right. If you're really young and you're in a high tax bracket, you know, even though you're in a high tax bracket, it might still be worth to take the tax hit up front, choose a Roth option and not have to worry about taxes down the road. However, if you're in your 50s or your 60s and you're in the highest tax bracket of your life, even though ROTs are really nice to take that tax uncertainty off, it might be good to defer the taxes, right? Take the taxes and push those off into retirement and when you're in a much lower tax bracket. And so really taxes, the answer is it depends, right? It depends on your situation. It depends on what what keeps you up at night. But really getting into tax planning can be a lot of fun to try and Try and hedge, try and diversify, and, and make sure that we're being as efficient as possible with all your dollars. I like that you think that that's fun. That's a good <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's fun because, because it has such a meaningful impact. It, it, does, feels, yeah. it feels good to do a Roth conversion, say, that'll never be taxed again. Yeah. You know, hopefully, <laughs> but, but shouldn't <laughs> ever be taxed again. Right. And, and, yeah. and have that money set aside and then run those numbers and say, wow, when I'm in retirement, I'm going to have this chunk of money completely tax free that I can then use to kind of, you know, manipulate my tax brackets in retirement. If I'm up pressed up against a tax bracket in retirement, but I really need that new sailboat, am I going to have to wait another year? So I don't pull more up and, and take it on high tax bracket. Or do I just pull it from Roth and it's tax-free and doesn't impact anything? And so really building in that flexibility or, or even when you're, you know, at retirement and, and you've been in high tax brackets your whole life, all of a sudden you retire, your tax bracket drops down. I mean, it just feels great to start paying 12% on all this money that you had been just a year previous paying 22% on, right? Now we're getting tax-free money set aside for the future. And so it, it, the, the, obviously the topic I understand can maybe be boring. But when it's applied to your life, it, it gets exciting. Yeah. You know, tax, tax planning is one of those topics in financial planning that is imperative every single year. And and not because we have to pay taxes every single year, but because you want to try and legally, let me repeat that, legally, <laughs> you know, avoid paying as much in, in taxes as, That's the tr- as you, you don't, can. You don't want to overpay on your taxes. Right. right? And, and so if there's a legal way to, to avoid or to, you know, to, to miss out on, on that opportunity to give the government more money, then we should take advantage of it. And so we try and, and on the tax plan, we're going to coordinate with your CPA or whoever's doing your taxes and, and look at it not only over the course of the entire plan, which is critical and which is important, but also year by year, because life, again, life happens and we want to make sure 
that we're looking at, at, you know, are we doing tax loss swap cells? Are we, you know, trying to do Roth conversions? Are we contributing in the 401k in the right manner, whether it's pre-tax or, or Roth? Are we using our, our gifting limits or are we itemizing taxes and, and are we maxing out? Are we bunch, doing bunching strategies to where we have more write-offs this year and then we use a standard deduction next year? So there, there's a lot of different techniques that can go into that tax planning that, that when we spend time on it and we incorporate your tax professional to where it can come up to a meaningful savings year after year after year. Yeah. All right. Next up on the ultimate financial plan is education funding. So, Rex, I am reading, I believe it's the Merrill Lynch book, uh, Grow Rich Slowly. Yeah. I think it was written in the early 90s. Um, yeah. A lot a lot of that, a lot of the financial planning in that book includes educational funding uh, or funding or making sure you're saving for your kids' um, higher education. Because in the early 90s, it was gold. I think that's changing daily right now. Like, I think it's actually changed a lot, even this year where they're forgiving student loans and things. Um, it, more and more employers are taking work experience, uh, you know, along. I mean, there's some jobs you can't do without going to school. So you got to you got you to account for that. But where where are you? Because you're kind of unique. You've got 75 kids. Where are you <laughs> on education funding and saving saving money for it? Because I think I think you're unique a little bit and to your peers, maybe. Um, and because I feel like that book, uh, really, I mean, a big part of it was, okay, as soon as you get your retirement figured out, now you got to start saving for your kids. And, but where are you on that? And, and how much should your financial plan be going to helping your kids get, you know, a, a education, a higher education? So, so I definitely think every, every family is unique and their, and their values and, their priorities and in, in regards to education. I am an enormous proponent of education in general. You know, both both my parents were educators. You know, I received a college degree and and matter of fact, I think all but maybe one of my family. And so I'm I'm the youngest of six. And I think five of the six of us all have at least one degree, if not multiple. And so I, you know, I don't want to give off the impression that I don't feel like education is important. Education is critically important in my mind. However, I don't think necessarily a college education is is necessarily right for everybody. I think vocational schools, I think entrepreneurship, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to to be able to find your passion and succeed in life. So I think that for saving for college, there's definitely a lot of techniques to do it, whether you were using 529 plans, whether we're using, you know, college education savings plans or, or custodial accounts, or even just, you know, after tax savings, right. Or, or even retirement accounts where you can use that for, for some education expenses. So the uniqueness in, in mind that Brandon is kind of referring to is, is for me and my kids is I don't pay for education. I also have a core belief that the kids appreciate more when they have to grind for it when they you know i feel like that if you buy them a car versus if they go and they build a car themselves they're going to treat those cars very very differently you know throughout their lives and and i think education is the same way as if they have to earn it for themselves and and struggle and put themselves through it that they'll appreciate it that much more and and put that much more effort into it and so at the, at the same time i think i think education is changing drastically i look at you know, where it was in, in the 90s when you and I went to college, 
um, versus, you know, today at our local university at, at Weber State University here in Ogden, they have a program called Dream Weber, right? And if you're under a certain income level, your education is paid for at Weber State. And and so, you know, trying to to kind of raise that low income stigma to make sure that everybody can afford college. And I think that's a phenomenal program that our local university provides. But I think it gets more and more expensive. I was looking at one of the schools that, you know, their their annual tuition is north of $80,000 a year for an undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to pay $80,000 a year for four years or five years or however long it takes you to graduate, I mean, you're looking at a lot of money. You, you better go into a career field that's going to generate an enormous amount of income in order to pay that debt off. Yeah. And whereas you might have been able to do it for a fraction of the cost through a state school for your under, you know, for your associate's degree and then then went and got the the last two years at, at that other institution. So be yeah. smart about how you're spending your dollars. My my 12 year old seventh grader on on school said to me this morning on the way to school, she said, I don't even know why we go to school. Just Google it and move on with your life. <laughs> so there's that. Just Google's always right. Just, Google's always right. Yeah. Did you tell her she's not always going to have a calculator in her pocket? That's, you know, but she'll have a phone. That's what I heard all growing up. Yeah. yeah. You're not going to have a calculator in your pocket. What are you going to do? I know. And then they came out with these phones that are, we can't get rid of. And so, it, but there's a point there. And so, yeah, I, Rex, I was just curious because that book was so education heavy, you know, right. like start saving for it, but you don't even pay for your kids school. Now, if they, if they go to a local, a local school, then obviously we'll let them live at the house and we'll cover food and shelter as long yeah. as they're, they're going to school full time and, and working on, on getting good grades and, and focusing on it. Then we'll help out in that way. Yeah. And, and obviously I'll advise them and educate them on, on different ways, you know, but my, my preferred way is, as you work your way through it. And is it hard? Absolutely. It's hard, Yeah, but it wasn't meant to be easy and it shouldn't be easy. You paid and for your own school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I paid for my own school and, and worked through it. You know, I worked full time. I started a small business and, and that helped pay for the first couple of years and, and struggling, but didn't take out any debt and, and was able to graduate debt free and got through it. And I understand that prices are more today. Income is more today too. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I might be an outlier, but I, you might be surprised. I might not be quite that far out as, as some people might think. Yeah. And some, in some families, that's just how the, they have to do it that way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So next up in the ultimate financial plan is retirement living. Dan, you are nearing retirement. Uh, how much do we need to plan for what we're doing in retirement and the money that goes along with it? So we work our whole lives, whatever that period of time is from, 20 to 70 or 60, whatever it might be, to prepare for retirement, right? That's that's what we're working for is to be able to be a, in a situation where we can retire in a comfortable manner. So uh, it's important that we plan it ourselves. And I think years ago, uh, my father's generation and my his his father, my grandfather's generation, most of those people worked at a one job. The whole career and at the end of that period of time at 62 or 65 whatever it might be uh, whenever they hit that number they retire and they they were in retirement until they died it's a little different today i think most people 
ease into retirement. Some, some people might uh, slow down and not retire completely, 100%. Some people might say, well, I want to work part-time or I want to be actively involved in a charitable organization or doing something different than a full-time retirement. I want my stress level to go down, but I still want to be active. And uh, so everyone looks at retirement differently, but if you have a financial plan and you've planned for that uh, throughout your working career, retirement should be a, a, a time of, of reflection, a time where you can spend time with your family, uh, do the things you want to do, and hopefully your health stays good. And uh, it should be a, a great, a great time. And the living part of it, should be something that uh, you thoroughly enjoy. But I do believe you have to plan for it. I don't think you can just say, I'm retiring next week, and all of a sudden, what am I going to do the next morning when I get up? You need to plan for that. And it's a mental thing as well as a physical and a financial thing. You have to plan for it. Going back to the, that book, the, the Grow Rich Slowly, they talk about retirement in there. And uh, boy, I'm surprised at how often um, they sort of mention um, so people don't want uh, to take a lower income. They don't. They don't want to live off less than what they're they're making. So do you, do you have to plan on plan enough to get have the same income. You don't have the same expenses, or you so, shouldn't. So the psychological impact of that is is interesting, right? Because you know Dan Dan always says you know when you're young, plan on living on fifty percent of what you make, right? Which which is true. By the time you pay taxes, you you save 10% for yourself, you, you know, get help out with a little bit of charity, different things like that. Yeah, you're probably down to 50% of your paycheck. And yet the, the psychology of it is as people reach retirement age, is they say, my gosh, I'm making a, a you know, $150,000 at my job. I need $150,000 in retirement. And that's, that's not a the, year, a year, yeah. right? Sorry. So 150,000 a year. Well, some clients. So, <laughs> so one hundred fifty thousand a year in retirement, and and that's not the reality of it because because you're not drawing W two income, your tax rates typically drop depending upon where we're pulling money from. And so, one, you don't need to make the one hundred fifty because not as much as getting eaten up by taxes. You're not putting twenty thousand, twenty seven thousand dollars into a four hundred one k plan anymore. And so now, all of a sudden, we don't need to replace that twenty seven thousand dollars of income. And so there are certain things that, that you're not living on, mm -hmm. but the psychology of it is, you know, people think, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to get there. I'm never going to be able to, to pull $150,000 a year out of my accounts. And, and most, most experts say you need, you know, 70% of your income mm -hmm. is, is what most experts say. And, and, and I would say it depends. I would say it's very unique depending upon you know, the person and what they're spending on. And I mean, I've, I have some clients that, that are saving literally 60% of their income and they're only spending 40%. And so in retirement, I only need to replace 40% of their income mm -hmm. and, and not the 70 or not the hundred or, you know, wh whatever the difference is. And, and so it's, it's interesting because people will write a book like that and that'll kind of resonate and stick with you. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and the psychology of it to me is, is just, extremely interesting. And, and I say that knowing that Dan is our resident, you know, he's, he's got a psychology degree, right. Yeah. And, and, and yet it just, it, it completely interests me. Yeah. So. Dan, are you living off a hundred percent of what you make? Is that, your that again, Bren. You're going to live in retirement, like the same, the same income of what you're making now, or are you downsizing? 
Uh, well, I would love to downsize. I need to talk my wife into that. But, uh, <laughs> but, oh, wait, it's a partnership? Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, it is, uh, believe it or not. So um, uh, hopefully we can, uh, uh, I think we're fine financially. It's just uh, mentally, you know, what do we do with our time and are we still productive in life? That's sure. the key. Sure. It's interesting on retirement. I mean, and, and we keep kind of going back to this, but in, in retirement, the average person has 8,000 days in retirement and you're talking wow. 20 birthdays, 20 Christmases, 20 summers. Right. And so as, as you start looking at that and you say, Oh my gosh, how do I want to spend my last 20 summers? Hmm. What do I want to do? And, and I think that's significantly more important to come to those answers Okay, than wait, it is. This, wait, time out. This this brings up an enormous. This is completely different. This is off, we're off script now. Rex, really? I'm reading the book. Okay, the the book that you said is one, probably one of the best books you read. It's right? a great book. The, the Maryland Grow Rich yeah. Slowly. But that entire book is based off of I think outdated. Uh, uh, well, it's forty years old. Is it that old? Early nineties. I mean, early maybe oh thirty God, years. That old. Thirty five years. That old. old. We're that yeah. old. But 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 now more people are trying to the quiet quitters. They're trying to create a life that they are having. You said you only get 20, 20 Christmases. No, I would like to enjoy my Christmas now in my thirties or twenties or forties. I would like to enjoy my time now. And I think there's a major shift coming to where retirement's not all it's cracked up to be. As to where we're going to try and figure out how to live right now, and then and and do what we want to do and live how we want to live now but then you know how do we save for when we can't work yeah i'm i'm a big believer in in cycles right that that most things in life have a cycle and i and i feel like that the cycle during the 60s 70s and 80s was working at one company working 40 50 years yeah. straight and and then you would retire and and you'd kind of fade off right and that's what that book is based on and and a lot of people unfortunately a lot of people would pass away two three four years after retirement yeah. because they kind of lose their their sense of self and they and they start to to not have anything that's stimulating their mind and their body and, and different things like that where now i think you're right i think we're getting a shift on on the next couple of generations to where they're saying hey look i'll work somewhere somehow some way a little bit in maybe into my 60s 70s and 80s but i want to do it a little bit more of a flat line to where i'm enjoying yeah. a lot of life now as well while i'm young and healthy and can yeah. and and yet i want to you know so i want balance yeah. is is kind of the the trend word right yeah. now right so i want balance and and my gut feeling is that the generations that are currently looking to do that just as as overcorrected the early generations are, my guess is that they are overcorrecting on the idea that I can have an extreme amount of balance, which isn't really balance. It's it's a lot of play and, and little work and savings. And that's going to come back to haunt a lot of people when they get towards retirement age because they won't have the savings. They won't have done the planning. They won't have done the preparation to to sustain them because they, they may not be able to pull in the same kinds of income down the road that they could well, pull in. That's, in their that's the difference. That's the change. The, the switch so, is to figure out how to live financially free sooner. And financially sooner. free is a, a big word, right? It's Passive a big income. Word. And, it, yep. and, and so, you know, 
and I agree that they're trying to figure that out and, and it'll be fun to watch over the next 20 <laughs> years fun to watch to, to see yeah. how that kind of yeah. develops. But our planning has to be dynamic enough to take those kinds of situations into account, right? Of what if I, what if I scale back? So we have some clients that are like, I want to scale back at, at 50 yeah. and, and I want to be able to go, you know, part-time we have, we have one particular client right now that is, is making in excess of a million dollars a year of income and, and, you know, kind of mid forties. And, and she's like, I am not passionate about this anymore. This mm -hmm. is not in alignment with who I want to be. And so she's giving that up right in, in, and going to pursue things that she's passionate about and bring that balance to her life. And so that's going to be interesting to kind of see those transitions. But when you're working on financial planning, you have to be flexible and dynamic enough to be able to model lots of different situations. So we can sit there and say, yes, but let's look at it before you make the decision. Yeah. Don't make the decision first and then ask us to, to make it work. Yeah. Right. That's hard and, and, and impossible sometimes. Yeah. And so let's look at the, the options and look at the decisions and put together a plan before you make that decision. Dan, just real quick, do you have any comments on that before we bump out of no, I, I, uh, what Rex just said is totally interesting to me because I'm going to be watching over the next 20 years or 25 years uh, how some of the 30, 40 somethings that uh, want to want to have more fun in life have a lot more balance to see how that works. I'm not sure. I couldn't do it with my career. Uh, it was a lot of hours every single day and some Saturdays uh, to build this career. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to watch, uh, but you're right. It, that book is based on what we used to think versus how some people think now. Uh, the internet's changing things and it's making it possible. And I think that's why the people's technology. minds are going there now. Yeah. Technology. And, and that's why people's minds are going there now. And they're like, wait, you're telling me I don't have to stay at the same job for 30 years. You mean I can figure out a way if I just put my, my mind to it and, so it's, it's interesting. Well, sure. and the rate and the flow of information, right, yeah. has has gone up just exponentially. And so now all of a sudden you can Google things and say, well, how how are other people doing it? Right. And can I mimic that? Can I can I massage that to meet what I want to do? And and you can you can kind of cookie cut what they're doing into your situation so much quicker where before you couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, you could go and personally interview 20 people, right. And say, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? But you didn't have that free flow of information, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Content creators to get that. are the number one entrepreneur, number one growth entrepreneurship right now is, is a content content creator, which was not available 20, 10 years ago. I, I don't even know what that means. What's it? Pro podcast, uh -huh. right pro podcast. Gotcha. You're, you're looking at it. Gotcha. Right All okay. right, let's bump out of here. We only got charitable giving, uh, reviewing and rebalancing, and then any other considerations. So charitable giving, Brandon, what do we need to know? Yeah, a lot, lot of different charitable giving, you know, options out there um, from setting up a family tr foundation. You know, if you've got large amounts of wealth that, that you want to earmark for certain charities, as well as, you know, in certain circumstances, you can donate directly out of an IRA to a church or to a charity um, and not pay taxes on it. And so that I think is something to be aware of. But there, I mean, charitable giving, that it's a fairly complex topic. And so we like to make sure that we're working with the CPA and, and making sure that we're, you know, doing that accurately and, and maximizing the benefit there. 
Brandon, how often do you uh, review and rebalance uh, accounts with with customer clients? Depends. <laughs> Just to, but really, I mean, it depends on what the markets are doing. It depends on it depends on the individual client circumstance. And so, you know, with with quite a few of our clients, we've got we take full discretion, meaning that we can actually, you know, when the market moves or something adjusts, we can actually adjust all the client portfolios all at once and, and or whoever is in those discretionary funds. And so that's really beneficial and we'll rebalance those kind of depending on what needs to happen. As far as meeting with clients, though, we find that that varies from person to person. Some people like to meet quarterly with phone calls in between. Other people are semi-annual or annually. And so we really let the clients drive that. I've found that the best is typically to meet more frequently right at first, right, as, as people are getting used to it, getting used to watching numbers, and then you know peeling that back so that not that we're not super fun and lovable, but that way they don't have to spend as many you know visits in our office. Yeah, sure. Okay, so today is officially Tuesday, September 13th of the recording of this podcast. I say that because I'm wondering, Rex, if... People will use this date in the future because the market didn't do so hot. It dropped enough to where people may say in the future, well, it wasn't as bad as September 13, 2022. Does that affect how often you meet with clients? I don't know that it it, it doesn't necessarily impact our, our service model as far as our regular reviews. But when when we have a more volatile market or more things volatile in the world and the economy and things like that, then we certainly reach out more to clients because they they're concerned and, yeah. and rightly so, right? Is you get the media that kind of harps on searching for headlines, harping on lots of times extreme extremism, whether it's extreme negatives or extreme positive, but whatever is going to get the most viewership. And right now it's extreme negativism, right? And so you're you're focused on all the things that are going wrong in the world, whether it be inflation, whether it be the fact that you know, the Fed is raising rates so rapidly, whether it's the, the Ukraine war, whether it's the midterm elections, whether it's all the political, you know, environment that's going on with, with the, the major two-party system. You just have a lot of variables, whether it's, you know, supply chain disruption. I mean, I can go on and on. There's so many, so many variables going on, but there's always a lot of variables going on. Yeah. And but right now it's just so prominent in the media that it's impacting people's emotions and it's impacting their decision making. And and we all know that we make typically the average person makes terrible decisions when they're emotional. Mm -hmm. And so you you want to be able to to talk, you know, to an advisor. You want to be able to bounce your thoughts and 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 emotions against kind of what you're feeling versus making a rash decision that may not benefit you. And, and so, you know, one of the interesting things is, is today the market was down, you know, not by any record amount or anything like that, but it was down sharp today. And so if you have 30 years, it's interesting. Somebody will call me up and say, oh my gosh, you know, the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the, the world's going to come to an end and, and should we sell out? Should we sell out? And, and the reality is that, you know, if, if all of a sudden you go to the grocery store and, and milk goes from $2 to a dollar you'd probably buy two gallons instead of one gallon, right? And and yet when the market does that, you want to give it all back, yeah. right? You don't want any of it. And and so you really need to kind of take a step back and say, where am I in this process? Am I accumulating assets or am I spending down on withdrawing assets? And, and you know, if you're withdrawing assets and you're having those feelings, you might be more aggressive than you can handle. 
And, and the difficult thing is you are where you are today. And so do we make the adjustment today or do we ride through whatever it is that we're going through, however long that takes and make the adjustment on the other side as we get through that cycle. And that is the difficult discussion that we have to have. And so a lot of times when we're, when we're receiving calls from people that we're not working with, but we would like to work with, or that would like to work with us, that's the discussion that we're having. And, and unfortunately, lots of times it is that they just weren't rebalancing along the way. And so their, their risk assets grew and grew and grew and became a bigger, bigger part of their portfolio and they didn't readjust. And so now when it tips over and it goes down, they go down much harder and much faster than what they were comfortable with and used to. And, and that's the reason that they need to review, rebalance, rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. I saw a financial commentator the other day say something like what you just said, where uh, the market is is like the only place where when when stocks are half priced that nobody wants to buy them. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Any other considerations? Medical medical issues, loss of spouse. I mean, some of this fits into emergency fund. Maybe you get a giant inheritance of money that you weren't planning on, and how do we deal with that? What what other considerations, if any, uh, should go into the ultimate financial plan? Dan, can you think of any? If you get an inheritance, you should be talking to a financial planner. Planwithbaxter.com. Planwithbaxter.com. Brandon, what's what's something wild we should throw in there uh, if we didn't think cover it already? No, no, I think that's good. I, I, I think, and, and what people don't realize oftentimes is that we're happy to sit down. Initial consultations are free. We'll sit down, we'll ask the questions, and, and oftentimes the, the hardest part is knowing which questions to ask. And so we can ask the questions and and. And, you know, I've had clients say, all right, thank you. I think, I think I've got it from here and that's fine. And, and we've got other clients that end up working with us. And, and, and ultimately, if we can change someone's life in 30 to 60 minutes, you know, it's worth, it's worth having the conversation, especially when it's fun, right? When you can uncover some real value in there, it, it, it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. I, do they, though, have it from there? Because every time I talk to you guys, I learn something. And I just think that it's valuable to use a financial planner. So, Plus, we're fun. Planwithbaxter.com. We don't always look like it, but we're fun. <laughs> Rex, thanks for hanging out in the trailer with me today. How fun was this? Hey, huh? it was it was the coolest, coolest thing ever. So I love being in, in Banyan One. Love hanging out with, with the Banyan Collective and for all their help and and for having us on their on their podcast. Well, you guys are brilliant. So Brandon, Dan, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for being on the podcast. That is it for this episode of Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams.